0: your Bibles this evening, if you would please, to Psalm chapter 14. I have again chosen one of the Psalms to preach to you uh, tonight and uh, to be our lesson for this evening. And this is a Psalm that I think is probably familiar to, bo- uh, to most of you because we find the words of this Psalm actually in three different places of Scripture. Almost the entire wording of this Psalm is repeated in Psalm chapter 53 with the exception of verses 5 and 6. And also in the book of Romans, in chapter 3, uh, Paul uses part of this psalm, and that's one of the most recognizable uh, portions of Scripture that we have as we deal with people who are dead and lost in their sins. And it's really amazing, uh, the Bible being such a, such a large book, that we really don't find too many repeats in the Bible. But when you find something in the Word of God that said three times, then you best be sure that this is something that God wants us to, to get into our hearts. He's very insistent about what he says and pressing this down into our minds so that we understand it. Now, really, if God just says something one time in the Bible, that's enough. You need to sit up and you need to listen to what God says, even if he only says it one time. But when God says something three times... We're totally derelict if we don't know about this. So that's what I want to talk to you about tonight, this uh, 14th, or rather, yes, the 14th Psalm. Now, uh, a couple of weeks ago or so, three weeks ago, I spoke on the 19th Psalm, and I think that we could probably look at Psalm chapter 14 as being a companion psalm to that one because in that psalm, uh, David talks about the revelation of God through creation, and this psalm is a psalm about the foolishness of a person who can actually look at all the what God has done, and to come out with a declaration that there is no God. It's a foolish person who does not submit to a God that has so clearly revealed himself. So we're going to read this psalm tonight. If you'd stand with me, please. Uh, psalm chapter 14, we'll begin reading with verse number 1 and read the entire psalm. And David writes here, "...the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good." The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge, who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous." You have shamed the counsel of the poor because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight. We ask you, Lord, to help us to understand what you have so clearly stated here. And Lord, uh, with three different times it is spoken in Scripture, we certainly do need to know about these things. So speak to our hearts as we discover truths in your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is one of those sermons that you can really get excited when you preach about it. So you'll pardon me. Maybe I get a little cranked up. I don't know. I need a little bit of that to wake up this evening. Uh, so uh, I'm going to talk about this 14th Psalm. And, and really what we read here is the Bible's uh, condemning assessment of atheism. And um, the psalmist... Uh, ...certainly does do this. I mean, he condemns atheism, but really, if we look at this very closely, we find here a very dramatic description of of an entire God-rejecting world. This psalm is an indictment against a godless culture that has actually educated itself away from its responsibility and and to its spiritual uh, need to know who the true God is... Now, in the 19th Psalm that we studied a couple or three weeks ago, David wrote there, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And what we find is that it is impossible for there to be a natural-born atheist in the world. You go to the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa. You go to places in the world where the gospel has never been preached. And you still find people who believe that there is a God. They believe in a supreme being. And people do not become totally ignorant and uneducated about who God is unless they have decided to learn these things, to educate themselves away from the belief in a God. And that's what Paul means when he said, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And so what we have today is a lot of people who are following educated fools. And that doesn't mean just in science, not just in philosophy, but there are a lot of people who are following educated fools in the area of religion as well. Now perhaps uh, you may have heard about uh, these two men, Bob and Jim, who were applying for the same job at an engineering firm. And both of these men had to take a test, an employment test, with ten questions. And whoever scored the highest on this test would get the job. When the results of the test came back, both men scored nine out of ten questions correctly. Well, they called them back in and they were going to announce who was going to get this job. And so they said, both of you scored 90% on this test. Both of you got 9 out of 10 questions correct. And so we're going to hire Bob. Well, Jim was very upset about that. And he said, well, how could you hire Bob? What makes one wrong answer any worse than any other wrong answer? And the boss said, well, it's very simple. On question number six, Bob wrote, I don't know. And you wrote, neither do I. And that's what a lot... Yeah, we'll get it here in just a minute. And that's what a lot of people are doing. I mean, they're just following somebody else. They're not thinking for themselves. And Jesus tells us, if the blind follow the blind, then both will fall into the ditch. Now, tonight I want to show you three truths about godless fools. The first one, the first thing we want to talk about is the creed of fools. Now, I hope you understand what a creed is, because the word actually means a formal statement of religious belief. It means a confession of faith. Now, that might seem really odd to you to think that I would be talking about an atheist and say, well, what is the statement of faith or what is the creed of a fool? Because surely an atheist does not have his own statement of faith. We think about our church. We have 18 articles in our statement of faith, 18 things that we've set down, and they sort of a brief summary of what we believe as a church. But an atheist or an agnostic, does he really have a creed that he follows and that he believes? Well, in fact, he does. Uh, An atheist also has his creed or his statement of faith. Now, let's talk about that for just a minute, the statement of his creed. He has a statement of faith, and his statement of faith says, there is no God. And so in his statement, he makes an anti-God statement, and you need to be aware that that is just as much a religion as to say that there is a God, to believe that God actually exists. But much more than just being a denial of God's existence, the meaning that we have in this psalm is that this is not the idea of just sincere, misguided conviction. This is a fool... Who, who makes this statement that there is no God. And this psalm is indicating that this is actually a gesture of defiance. Now, once again, we notice here that there are italicized words in this. Verse number 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And we notice this, that the word there is are italicized. We all know what that means. That's not in the original language. And so the verse would actually read, The fool has said in his heart, no God. And there are two ways that you can take that. He could be saying, there is no God for me. Or he could be saying, no God. And as he says, no God, that's his gesture of defiance. Now, Charles Spurgeon wrote about the Fool's Creed. And he said, to say there is no God is to belie the plainest evidence, which is obstinacy, to oppose the common consent of mankind, which is stupidity, to stifle consciousness, which is insanity, If the sinner could by his atheism describe the God whom he hates, there would be some sense, although much wickedness, in his infidelity. But as denying the existence of fire does not prevent its burning a man who is in it, so doubting the existence of God will not stop the judge of all the earth from destroying the rebel who breaks his laws. So atheism is a crime which provokes heaven and will bring down terrible vengeance on the fool who indulges in it. And so you see there's a A person can take and shake his finger in the face of God, and he can teach your children in school today that to believe in a God is superstition. He tells you that it's a myth. He says it's nothing but a fairy tale. But when he says that, that doesn't change the fact that God still exists, and it doesn't change the fact that God's real, and it doesn't change at all the inevitable consequence that will come for every person who does not believe in God. People are going to go to the hell that they don't think actually exist. Now, you may think that you can leave God out of your life and you, can, and you can ignore him, but the Bible says you are a fool. In Romans chapter 14, it says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So the fool's statement is, There is no God. Well, where does that come from? How could a person ever come to the conclusion that God doesn't exist? Well, to understand that, we need to talk about the source of the creed. Where does he get this information? How does one person say that there is no God, and yet there are billions upon billions of of people on this planet who affirm that God really does exist? Well, if you analyze the statement, it's clear to you that this is not a response from intellect. Our brains do not teach us that there isn't a God. We look out here at the heavens, we see the reality of creation around us, and the evidence is clearly seen that there must be a God. All of this declares His existence. And there's not only a need for intelligent design, it's not only a reality, but it is a necessity that there be an intelligent being who runs all things, created all things, keep things going in their precise order, in order for this universe to exist. And so when a person begins to turn his back on God, that is not an intellectual decision. It's not his brain that's telling him to do that. It's the effect of an evil heart. The reason he does this is because his heart is evil... And the Bible very clearly tells it in a verse that all of you know well. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So when we talk about this creed, it doesn't come from someone who's just simply misguided. It goes beyond this because the Bible says this person is a fool. Now, a person who's mistaken or ignorant of the facts, we would say, well, that's just plain ignorance. He doesn't know any better. But when a person sees the facts, when he sees all that's out here and he denies those facts, that person is a fool. Now, the existence of God is not something that's so obscure that only the greatest theologians or or scientists can find out whether God exists or not. Paul tells us in Romans that, that this is so clearly displayed over all of the world that everyone can see it. He said, "...for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen." being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So there has to be something more to this denial than just mental reasoning. It has to be more than that. This is outright denial of plainly revealed facts. And that doesn't come from the intellect. The only thing that can account for it is the wickedness of the human heart. And what happens here is the heart deceives the brain. The heart deceives the brain into thinking the wrong thing. Now, what I really want you to understand here, though, is that you you may think, well, this is foolish for you to stand up there and talk about atheism because there's nobody in this room tonight who is an atheist. But what we need to understand about this psalm is that David expands this beyond just atheism. The context of what he's saying here is "a fool stands for a complete class of people. And he's talking about this whole class of people who deny God, not just saying that he doesn't exist, but deny his power and the fact that they need to submit to this God. Now, if we take the meaning here as being no God, that the person is making a defiant gesture that he says no God, then that shows that he's in willful rebellion and a person who does not see fit to submit himself to God's control, he's the one who's classified as a fool. Now, what you ought to be able to understand now is what the Bible is saying is that every unbeliever, every single unbeliever in the world, the person who doesn't trust Jesus Christ, he is a fool. And you know, we see it very clearly because I can stand up on Sunday morning to a whole congregation and we can talk about the glories of heaven. We can speak about what Jesus has done on the cross. We can talk about this morning, uh, as we did, about how the cross is the place that we have to go. We need to see the grace of God in the face of Jesus Christ at the cross. And we can explain that. And then we can talk about the punishment of hell and how horrible that that's going to be. And people sit under the preaching of a gospel sermon and they refuse to believe it. And the Bible says that you can classify that decision as complete foolishness. Now, why is this? Why is it that people do not make a rational, intellectual decision that's based upon all of the reasonable facts that we have? Well, the only answer, again, is the heart. It's the heart. And since the heart is desperately wicked and the heart is a part of man's moral nature... Then it's going to take a supernatural working in order for that person to be changed. Now that brings us to the next part of David's statement. Because in this we also see the corruption of fools. In verse number 1 again he says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And, of course, again, you recognize those words as the ones that Paul drew on for his argument in in Romans chapter 3. There in Romans 3, he's talking about the universal depravity of man... And he's trying to make it clear to the Jews that they can claim no superiority over any other race. They can't claim that they're superior to the Gentiles. Not because of natural generation, because even the Jews as well are wicked to the core. And the heart is the problem. Now we notice in the Bible that the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. But you never find David saying that I'm righteous in myself. He, you never hear him saying that he's a man after God's own heart because of who he is. He knew that this was because of God's spirit that was within him. And David didn't claim to have personal knowledge of God or anything about God because of anything that was in him. And this is why he says in Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, the fool has two serious problems, according to this psalm. The first one is that fools are spiritually blind. The Bible says the Lord looked down from heaven to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Now, in a person's natural condition, he has very little understanding of the being and the nature of God. Now, though we can see God in creation, we can realize that God does exist. We don't learn anything about God personally through nature, and even if nature did reveal to us the personal nature of God, man would not be able to see it. The Scripture has already said in First Corinthians, Corinthians 2, verse 14, "...but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned." So Paul went on to say here that the God of this world, meaning Satan, Satan has further blinded the eyes of men. It's not just the heart that's a problem... But also Satan has blinded spiritual eyes to the truth of the gospel. And that explains to us why that a person can hear the message of Christ. They can hear all these things and they scoff at Christianity. They think the gospel is nothing but foolishness. And that's why the gospel is preached. And a preacher clearly delineates the difference between heaven and hell. And that person still says in his heart and says to God, No, God, I'm not going to believe that. Now, folks, despite what any preacher says, what any church says, what any college says, man does not come out of spiritual darkness by himself. Illumination has to come. Something has to shine into his heart. Blinded eyes have to be opened, and only the Holy Spirit can do it. Now, this is why both Paul and David say, they are gone aside, they are altogether become filthy, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, that phrase leads us to another avenue of their corruption, and that is they are morally bankrupt. The psalmist uh, informs us here that that morally speaking, those that are fools live or known by their waywardness. The path that they've taken is out of the way of holiness. They are all gone aside. Now, just like the children of Israel at Mount Sinai, they've decided they want to take a different path. They've left the way of righteousness and turned into a different way. So they're looking for another way to go. They don't want to go God's way. I think one of the most often questions that I've been asked over the years is why are there so many religions in the world? If Christianity is true, why are there so many religions in the world? And if Christianity is true, why are there so many different denominations. Why are there so many branches of Christianity? One people believe one thing and somebody believes something else. Why are there so many denominations of Christians? And the answer is very simple. According to the word of God, they have all gone aside. Now here's what man thinks. Man is looking for a way to go to heaven that will please him. He wants to go his way. Now, it sounds so much better for him to say, you know, I'd like to go to heaven by going over here and getting baptized. I mean, I'd like to do that. I mean, that's a good work that I can do. I'd like to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Or I'd like to be baptized by becoming a member of somebody's church. I'll put my name on their church roll, and that sounds like a pretty good way to get to heaven to me. Or I went to get to heaven, you know, I'd like to help little old ladies get across the street. That sounds like a pretty good way to get to heaven to me. I'll just go there by my good works, do some good things, and I'll be safe and secure and on my way there. But you tell that same person that in order for him to get to heaven that he must surrender all that he is to Jesus Christ? You tell him that he is helpless, he's hopeless, there's nothing in him at all? You tell that man that he's defiled? You tell him that he is a sinner and under the wrath of God? He doesn't like that. He doesn't want to hear that. Because that destroys his self-esteem. That that, that seriously seriously wrecks his self-worth. And so he doesn't want to believe that. He wants to get to heaven in his own power, his own way, and under his own ability. And it can't happen. Now, David goes on to say they're known by their filthiness. They are all together become filthy. And that word filthy there literally means sour. It means rancid, like milk that's gone bad, butter that's gone bad, And this is really not a neutral position, not at all. It's not a neutral position. It's just not a happenstance. It just happened that way. No, David is telling us here that their lives are an insult. People who live like this are an offense to the Creator and the Redeemer. And worse than that, he says, they're known for their uselessness. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Now, that psalm is a very, very clear statement of the universal moral corruption of the human race. We don't hear that today, do we? What we hear today is the goodness of man. We hear about how valuable that man is. Well, don't count on the goodness of man, because in the light of Scripture, no person who is not working under the operation of the Holy Spirit and control of the Holy Spirit has any righteousness at all. In fact, the Bible says about him, his righteousness is as Filthy rags. Now, Isaiah gives us a description of a person's moral state in Isaiah chapter 1. He says, Why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Isaiah says that. The righteousness of men is as filthy rags. You need to understand what he's talking about here. Get it in the picture in your mind. This is a very vivid mental picture that Isaiah is giving us here. He's talking and comparing this to wrapping sores of a person who's afflicted with leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy is a type of sin. And leprosy was a terrible disease. With leprosy, a person's skin became ulcerated. It turned gangrenous. The skin would fall away from the bone. Pus and blood would be oozing from these open wounds and open sores. And so they would take strips of cloth and they would wrap those claws around those open sores. And you can imagine that after time, those, those old rags would become soaked with all of this pus and the ooze. And they would begin to stink and a putrid order would come from them. Isn't that appetizing? I hope you ate supper tonight. And that's how Isaiah describes us in our righteousness or in our moral condition. He says in the 64th chapter, but we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Do You see who he's describing here? He's describing this fool. This is the same man that he's calling a fool. His intellect didn't lead him to this place. His heart led him there. His heart is wicked. That's what got him there. Now here is the very same man that preachers tell us today that oh you know all you really need to do with that person you need to sprinkle a little gospel message on him you need to tell him three points here and repeat the sinner's prayer and that'll take care of his problem that's what they're telling us this is the same one that the preacher begs to get that person down to the aisle down the aisle because he thinks that his power of persuasion will change somebody's mind it's never going to work Not when you see a person in this condition, that person is filthy. He's morally bankrupt. And until God calls that person to life, he can never believe. His wicked heart will never let him come. Jesus said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We discussed this a little bit on Wednesday night, but you need to understand that meaning. That means that he has to be regenerated before he can ever see. But our Baptist colleges today, they're saying, that ain't so. No, he doesn't have to be regenerated to see. He can see before that. And they have the order reversed. And they say that faith, that seeing, that comes before regeneration. Well, if that's possible, then you have a dead man who has faith. You have a wicked heart that's spiritually blind and morally bankrupt. And all of a sudden, it completely he completely defies his nature and he comes to God. Folks, you know what that is? Theologically speaking, the blind leading the blind. It doesn't work that way. We won't accept it that way because it's the fool's way. But let me go on because there's another truth in this psalm. There's the creed of fools and the corruption of fools. And now thirdly, the condemnation of fools. Let's read verses 4 through 7 again. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There were they in great fear, for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel will come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. God says, have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? You know what God's saying there? He says, can it be possible? Is it possible that these evildoers are not aware of the result of their evil? Do they think that they're going to escape divine retribution? And the very amazement that God expresses here magnifies the foolishness of that godless person. But then the psalmist goes on and he gives us reasons why these people are condemned. They're condemned, first of all, because they are ruthless. In verse number 4 we read, Who eat up my people as they eat bread. I want you to understand, Inherent in the nature of the atheists and those that are against God is also a hatred for God's people. Everybody who is an unbeliever has hatred for God's people. Do you know what happens when atheism takes over a country? Do you know what happens? We all know the stories, don't we? Concentration camps, prisons, gas chambers, firing squads. The committed atheist, folks, will do everything in his power to stop Christianity. He does everything in his power. Don't ever, ever let a Berkeley liberal tell you that atheists are humanitarians because they're not. Because when a person becomes an atheist, you know what he loses? He loses his sanctity for human life. Atheism is not compatible with good things and goodness and righteousness and holiness. You know why there's so many abortions every year? It's because people are godless, they're unthankful, and they're unholy. And I'll tell you something, I have serious doubts about a person who calls himself a Christian and he doesn't see a problem with millions of babies being killed every year. I have a problem with that. The same spirit that caused Hitler to gas six million Jews is the same spirit that guides the hands of an abortion doctor in an abortion clinic. It's the same spirit that guides your politicians that you'll be voting for in just another couple of years who vote to uphold the woman's right to kill a baby in her womb. It's the very same spirit that does that. A godless, unbelieving culture is not humanitarian. If you want to know why there are hospitals why there's help for the homeless, why there's programs for the poor, why there's help for starving countries, why there's disaster relief around the world. Don't count on atheism and godless cultures to do it. You know who to count on? Count on Christian people. They're the ones that keep all of that going. James Montgomery Boyce told the story about, uh, in Russia during the period of, right when Russia had had come into the period of Glasnost, and uh, uh, the American Bible Society was in Russia, and they were passing out Bibles. And there were people in lines, long, long, long lines, trying to get their Bibles. Now, these people had been imprisoned, uh, subjected to communism, since the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, and they were fed up with that. And so they stood for hours in line, trying to receive Bibles. And he tells the story that old Madeline Murray O'Hare, thank the Lord's no longer around, but old Madeline Murray O'Hare also had a book table at this booksellers' convention. And she was peddling her book on atheism, and there wasn't a single solitary soul at her table. Why is that true? I mean, here's people that have been living in communism under atheism all these years from 1917. Why weren't they over there buying books about atheism? You know why? They tried that. They saw what a godless society does. They saw how humanitarian that people are when they don't know God. And so there was nobody standing in line there. All that atheism ever does is foster corruption, deceit, and death. Now, friends, I want to tell you, Christians are not the enemies of freedom. In America, it's not the Christian right that's trying to destroy the Constitution. It's a godless society that's going to fumble away our freedoms. And you can mark this down, when God has gone from the public square, there'll be nothing there but a noose around people's necks and gas chambers. Does a godless society protect freedom? Think about that. Take a look at this and think about what happened in San Francisco just recently. Does a godless society protect freedom? You know what happened when, when uh, there was a group that wanted to dock a retired Navy ship in San Francisco? You know what San Francisco said? Go someplace else. Take that someplace else. You know what they said? We don't want to support America's war machine. Folks, America's war machine is what kept us free. That's why we have freedom, America's war machine. But those godless, ruthless heathens that that will not tolerate Christians, they'll tolerate a gay and lesbian society, but they won't have anything to do with God's people, not Christian people. You can count them out when it comes to protecting your freedoms. If those kind of people run this country, you mark it down right now, we'll all be just like those Jews that were gassed by Hitler. There'll be a noose around your neck. You mark that down. They're fools. They're corrupt. They're ruthless. We don't need people like that in our government. Then secondly, God will condemn fools because they're godless. Of course, that's the title of the message tonight, godless fools. And that's the whole problem. They are fools because they're godless. But you know something? Not really quite godless. Because in fact they do have a God. And their God is themselves. They've made themselves their God. Now there in verse number 4 it says they call not upon the Lord. And we notice there that the word Lord is in all caps. And whose name is that? Jehovah. Jehovah. Exactly right. You guys are getting it now. (laughs) That's Jehovah God. That's not their God. They have their own God. But I want to ask you a question. Is your God Jehovah God? Now, we have some good people from Berean Baptist Church here tonight on a Sunday night. And this is, you know, you're all, again, I'd say we're always preaching to the wrong crowd about things like this. But go out and tell somebody about it. I, I want you to listen and make a comparison here. The atheist rises from bed in the morning without a prayer or reference to God's holy word. He sits at meals without bowing his head to acknowledge the goodness of his creator. He goes to work independent of the supernatural strength or guidance of the almighty. On Sunday, he plays golf or otherwise ignores the day that God has set aside for worship and service. Now, listen to the Christian side. He rises from bed without a prayer. He sits at meals without bowing his head. He goes to work without thinking about the strength he receives from God. On Sunday, he plays golf or otherwise ignores the day that God has set aside for worship and service. You ever wonder why our churches have so little power with God? Why is it? Because we have not done hardly anything at all to distinguish ourselves from the godless society that we live in. We're living just like they live. Now, don't call an atheist a fool, friends, until we look at ourselves and see if we can't call ourselves fools. Because we are also saying, no, God, no, God. You can't, you know, you, know, you can realize that you can be, a, you realize you can be a Christian in name only and actually be godless. It's possible. Now, finally, God condemns fools because they're hopeless. In verse number five, it says, there they were in great fear... For God is in the generation of the righteous. He says the fool fears. Now, he may act bravely. Fool will stand up and he'll, he'll spout off his mouth against God. He'll curse God when things are going well. But when things turn around and things go poorly, now it's a different story. Years ago, there was a man who professed to be an atheist. He brought up his family, his entire family in atheism, taught them to be godless people, atheists as well. But when he was on his deathbed, he began to question the principles that he believed and what he taught his children. His son was still living, and and he'd been living in the way that he'd been taught. He was still an atheist. So he went to his father's deathbed and spoke to his father. He tried to encourage him to go on and live in the principles that he'd always lived by in his life. And he said to his father, Father, be a man. Stick to it. And his father looked at him and said, I'm afraid, son, there's nothing to stick to. That's an atheist. He has nothing to stick to. Voltaire, who was a French writer and philosopher in the 18th century, would often go on diatribes against Christianity. Voltaire said that within 20 years, the power of his pen would stamp out entirely and destroy Christianity. When Voltaire died, the nurse that was attending him said this, she said, For all the wealth in Europe, I would never see another infidel die. Voltaire pleaded on his deathbed with his physician. He said, I am abandoned by God and man. He talked to his physician and he said, I'll give you half of what I'm worth if you'll just give me six months more life. Then he said, then I'll go to hell and you'll go with me. And he said, oh God, oh Jesus Christ. He had no hope. He died in hopelessness. You know that is the terror of a man who dies without Christ. He may think he's principled. These people think they're smart. They're they're intellectually the you know scientists and got the big jobs and the big names and the big paychecks. They think that they're working for a worthy cause. But when it comes right down to the very end at death's door, they realize there is no comfort for anybody who lives like that. There's nothing there for him. There's no peace. And he realizes at that point he has nothing to look forward to but the death of a dog. And for a person who dies without Jesus Christ, they had better hope that there's nothing but the death of a dog. Because the Bible tells us there's a hell out there waiting for people who don't trust Jesus. And people will die and go to hell if they don't believe in him. So if you die without Christ, you better hope that you die a dog's death. David said they were in great fear. In the book of Proverbs, it says, "'Because I have called, and ye refru- refuse, "'I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded, "'but ye have set it not, all my counsel, "'and would none of my reproof. "'I also will laugh at your calamity. "'I will mock when your fear cometh, "'when your fear cometh as desolation, "'and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, "'when distress and anguish cometh upon you. "'Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer.'" They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel that despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. Let me close with this thought tonight. Christians, Christians, be foolish. Don't be foolish, be faithful. Don't be foolish, be faithful. Now what David understood here, there was nothing that he could do to get rid of his foolishness by himself. Nothing at all that he could do. Something wonderful, something overpowering had to come into his life in order to change him completely from what he was. There was only one thing that could take away his foolish heart and turn him to God. You know what it is? He gives us the answer in verse number 7. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. We can never come to trust and know God personally all by ourselves. Somebody has to intervene. And that somebody, friends, is Jesus Christ. The Bible says that salvation has come out of Zion and the only way that we're ever going to recognize who God is and believe in Him is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Scripture says no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But the faithful and believing, they look at Jesus. He's the revelation that the fool completely misses. So Christians, I encourage you tonight, don't give lip service to your faith. Act like a Christian. Live like a Christian. Prove yourself to be no fool by following the God of heaven who saved you. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Let's don't be compared with fools. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come to you tonight. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for the truths that are told there. And Lord, may we take the message that we've heard tonight and... Give this to others who need to know that there is a God in heaven who saves, a God in heaven who controls, a God in heaven who knows all things and helps all people who will come to him. I just ask you, Lord, to lay it on hearts, to seek, to seek God, to seek the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in him. We pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit might move upon us, and may we be people who are not foolish but believing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.